Hi, my name is Sherry Chung, and I am a film and television composer, and I am here today hanging out with Robert Miller on Follow Your Dream podcast. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream Podcast with listeners in 200 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Alexander Hitchens, musician and composer and self-described musical chameleon who runs the gamut from hip-hop to classical. Alexander recently composed and produced the entire package of music for NBC Peacock's Big Ten football and basketball broadcasts. He's worked on projects for the NBA, including for Michael Jordan and LeBron James. He composed music for The Rock and for Kobe Bryant's and LeBron James' Nike shoe campaigns. And he's also had TV placements in shows like Ted Lasso and Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And in the middle of this episode, as I do with all my musical guests, Alexander and I are going to do a song fest. We'll play a handful of his best works. We'll talk about them. You'll get the backstories. And nobody else does this in podcasts. And you also know that I feature a song of mine underneath the introduction and at the end of every episode. And in this instance, I have chosen the song, Yeah, Yeah, from the Project Grand Slam album, It's Alive. I just felt that this one worked. So Alexander Hitchens, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Robert, thank you for having me. It's, it's such a privilege to, to be a part of this. Uh, you're doing something really special with this podcast. And so it's a, it's a treat to join you today. I'll tell you, it's so nice to have you here. Okay, you and I have something in common. I like to do my due diligence in advance, okay? And sometimes I surprise my guests a little bit. But I read that you started on the violin when you were four and that your mother was the one that made you practice. Am I right? That is true. You know, it's it's a hotly debated topic because, you know, I always thought she made me play it. But the true story is that we were watching Sesame Street as a kid. She said that I saw it on TV and I told her I wanted to play that. And uh, she got it for me. And she was like, I'm not going to let you quit. And she held her end of the bargain up because I tried to quit a bunch of times. But I'm so <laughs> glad that that I stuck with it because I wouldn't be talking to you had I not stayed with it. How long did you play the violin? Oh, my goodness. I started when I was four years old and I played all the way organizationally through high school. Um, then I started playing kind of just here and there once I got into college. And now it's more of an accessory to what I do from a production and a composing standpoint. But yeah, I classically trained all the way as a kid and played in my high school orchestra, Cleveland Youth Orchestra. And so, yeah, I classically trained kid. <laughs> That's very cool. You know, my background, very similar. I started off, my father was a trumpet player and he decided that I was going to play the piano when I was about five years of age. I hated practicing. So my parents said to me, okay, you can give up the piano, but you got to go to something else. And I chose the trumpet because that was my father's instrument. Mm -hmm. And every day I had to practice, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. My mother stood outside the room and said, you're going to thank me one day for making you practice. And you know what? That's exactly what I did. 
Absolutely. No, it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's so here's a backstory. I had a teacher. I played in Cleveland. I grew up in Cleveland. My teacher played in the Cleveland Orchestra, which is considered a pretty prestigious orchestra. He was a World War II veteran as well. His name was Mr. Schneider. He's the only teacher's name I remember. I had several, but he's the only one I remember. And Mr. Schneider was a military guy for sure. And he was saying the same thing to me. He's like, you're going to thank me one day. And I would cry. My dad would drop me off at the lessons and I'd be like, don't leave me here with Mr. Schneider. He's so tough. <laughs> but he taught me the little details in making and playing music. He's like, keep your elbow up, keep your pinky out. All those little things. He's like, I don't care what music you're playing. It's like, I want you to do the little things right. And now that I'm working professionally as a musician, I understand the value in paying attention to the little things. But he told me the same thing your mom said. Like, one day you're going to thank me for, for really leaning into these things. And so, yeah, I can attest to that for sure. I've had a couple of people on the podcast, great musicians that were self-starters, okay? They decided they wanted to play. They practiced. They did everything. They didn't have to be pushed at all. But I don't think that's the usual. I think the usual, particularly for kids, kids want to go out and play. They want to do other things. And if you have a parent that pushes in the direction of creativity and playing music or dance or whatever, it makes a big difference. Absolutely. Because I, th I, th I think any skill set, whether you're an artist, a writer, a musician, uh, an athlete, there's a level of discipline you have to have. You know, and we don't always love discipline. You think of the word discipline, it sometimes has a negative connotation to it. But discipline, it's a prerequisite for excellence, you know. And so I think it's really important to, as a parent or as a teacher or as a coach, to be able to create that discipline in a way that doesn't, you know, make kids hate music or hate sports or whatever, but in a way makes them curious and want to lean in and stretch those muscles, you know. You're 100% right. And all the people that you've worked with, the Michael Jordans, the LeBron Jameses, I mean, they are so disciplined in what they do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where we see the performance, you know, for 48 minutes or for 60 minutes on the court or on the field. But we what we don't see is the hundreds of hours that they spend working on those little moves. So when it's time to actually execute it, they're able to do that. And I, I take that approach into music. It's like there's so much time that I spend just researching sounds, researching artists, inspiration, digging through my own sounds, getting organized, all the things that when it's time for me to sit down and create, I know I have my go-to moves. Kind of like, you know, Michael has his go-to moves. I got to have my go-to moves as a composer. Uh-huh. So you're shooting the three or you like to dunk for the two? <laughs> I, I like to think that I have a well-rounded game. You know, I'm pretty versatile, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I'm a bigger guy. I played football in, in high school and college. So, you know, I like to get down and, you know, box people out. But, you know, it's I also play the violin. So there's a delicate nature to me as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So listen, you're growing up, you're playing the violin, you're classically trained, but then you kind of moved into a whole bunch of other stuff in music, didn't you? You call yourself a chameleon. Tell me why. Yeah. So I grew up playing classically trained, like you said, uh, played the violin. I grew up the Suzuki method and people that grew up playing violin or strings, they kind of know about the Suzuki yeah, I method. I know all about that. But I loved hip hop and R&B. And, you know, my parents played a lot of Quincy Jones and the Isley Brothers and Earth, Wind and & Fire growing up. And so I always had a love for different styles of music. And, you know, as a kid that grew up in the 2000s, you know, hip hop was becoming more of a dominant genre in music. And so I was always curious and I was digging around. And I remember this is, you know, probably in the thick of me learning the violin, playing it. I'm riding through Columbus, Ohio. I'm from Cleveland. So riding through Columbus, going down to my grandmother's house. 
And as we go through Columbus, I always try to take my my walkie, my my it was a Walkman, and I would try to tune into the local sure. radio station. And so I tuned into the local hip hop station, and the, the DJ was on there. It's like, hey, we got a brand new debut tonight. We've got Dr. Dre featuring Eminem. Forgot about Dre, and this is the first time you guys have ever heard this record. So the record comes on, and the first thing that that is on that record, if anybody goes and listens to it, you'll hear strings that come in. There's violins that go dum 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 dum, and then the beat comes in. And so at that moment, I felt like my worlds were colliding because here it is. I recognize these strings, but then I love hip hop and here these things are coexisting. And I was like, I have to figure out how they did this. Like, what is this beat? What is production? And that started my journey into kind of digging into pro audio and producing and studying Dr. Dre and studying guys like Timberland and Pharrell. They kind of led me to where I am today, you know, where I'm able to reconcile these two worlds that I have of strings, but also hip hop, which works really well for sports stuff, you know, because you have, you know, these legacy athletes, you have sports that have been around for a while, but you also have a contemporary nature to how they're played. So that's how I approach music. Well, music has certainly evolved from the time when I came of age, which was during the British invasion era of the 1960s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of people on the show that were part of that era. And the next era for me after that was the jazz fusion era of the 1970s. But you're the first hip hop guy I've had on this show. All right, All trailblazer. Right? <laughs> That's right, you are a trailblazer. I mean, you know, look, for some of us that are a little bit older, it's hard to get into the nuances of hip hop. What is it about hip hop that you love? Well, Robert, look, I think what's unique about hip hop is that it is... The origins of it were derived from other types of music, right? So you have funk, you have R&B. So yep. you go to New York when hip hop was essentially created by DJ Cool Herc and, you know, the guys who were in New York and kind of the DJs spinning and cutting up records. They were taking old records and they would chop them up and they would make breaks and that would be the beat. And then they would dance to it. They would rap to it. But it was a byproduct of previous music. And so I think there's something beautiful about hip hop that is it's resourceful genre, in my opinion, you know, because you're pulling from these other classical sounds, these classical instruments, these these drum loops from, you know, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. And now you're making something that can, you know, be on the radio in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2020s. And so it's such a young genre, but it's such a creative genre. And, and there's so much, uh, you know, playfulness to it. I like to jump in the sandbox and just sample things and cut things up and put them together and see how I can make a new sound. And so that, for me, that's fascinating. I love to to do music in layers. Um, and I think that's contributed to a lot of my success in a bunch of different spaces. And I think this last bit is music is, there is something special about music that lives outside of a vacuum, right? So like a string never goes out of style. You grew up, you play the trumpet. Trumpet will never go out of style. It's been around for many, many decades, you know, strings have been around for centuries. And so I like to incorporate those things into my music so that it can have a great shelf life. So when kids come along 30, 40 years from now, and they're watching a highlight from Michael Jordan, the music is still relevant and still works for that particular piece. You got a musical booyah bass going on there, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, let's talk about some of the stuff that you've done, because it fascinates me that you've become so big in the whole NBA area. Tell me how you got into that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's fun because I grew up playing sports, you know, so while I was playing orchestra, orchestra, I was playing the violin. I also was playing football. I was playing baseball. All right. What position did you play in football? Football, I was a defensive end, outside linebacker, defensive end guy. So, you know, edge rusher. Uh, so, I, you know, I love the guys like Justin Tuck and DeMarcus Ware and Lawrence Taylor and all those guys. See, now you're talking about my guys because I'm a New York Giants fan. Yeah, okay? I, I hear the accents. I almost see you guys. <laughs> but yeah, I, play, I played a little bit of offense too. I played center. I was a little too small to play center, but in high school, we played both sides of the ball. I played one year of college, played outside linebacker, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going pro and I don't want to get CTE. So let me head to the studio and make some music. But I'm glad I had the experience again. We go back to the discipline part. It taught me a lot about just paying attention to details. Um, but I always did music all through college in my dorm room and I built relationships with filmmakers. And so there's these guys in Cleveland, the name was Purple Films, and they were shooting something for LeBron James and Nike. And they called me because they're shooting something on a Saturday. They called me on a Thursday and say, hey, we're going to be shooting live in Akron with LeBron. We're going to be editing on site. Can you send us some music? So when we take it in there, we can just kind of package it up. And I'm like, oh, man, like I'm flying blind. I don't know what it's going to look like. But they're like, hey, just, you know, think about a Gatorade commercial or giving all these different types of references. And so I can't come up with anything Thursday, just mental block. Friday, couldn't come up with anything. It wasn't until Friday night. And you should have called me, okay? I would have helped you out there. I know, I know. Now, <laughs> now I got your number, so we're going to we're gonna touch base. But finally, the, the writer's block lifted. Friday night, I was able to write a bunch of cool ideas. I sent it over. I didn't hear anything from them on Saturday. So I'm like, oh, you guys tell me if you hate it, do you like it? Like, what's going on? Didn't hear anything from them Sunday. So at this point, you know, I'm making my piece. I'm like, hey, it was a great opportunity. Um, I get a call Sunday night. I said, hey, the music is fantastic. We're finishing the edits for Nike, and it should be live on Monday, provided LeBron approves it. Well, LeBron approves it. It goes live on Monday. And that was my first kind of step into the sports music commercial world was being able to work with LeBron, Nike, and my buddies from Cleveland on that. And it kind of opened the floodgates. Now, how did they get to you? Did they know you from your dorm room or something? Where'd they find you? Well, yeah, I had done some music here and there in Cleveland, Ohio. Actually, my first opportunity working professionally in music, I worked with this guy named Lecrae. He's a gospel hip-hop artist. He won a Grammy in 2013. Um, I was able to be a part of that album, which was fantastic. Um, I worked with a bunch of his buddies. Um, so that was for me getting the experience of producing and being in the studio and also lending some of my skill sets as a string player to these pieces, you know? So like, you know, a lot of the other tracks that they had didn't really have that orchestral element. So for me to be able to incorporate that gave me something to point to. And I tell young producers all the time, like create something that people can reference so that it then leads to more work. And so I was able to incorporate those things into these songs so that when filmmakers come along and, you know, we have a relationship, I can point and say, hey, I, I can do that. I have the ability to do that. And then they're able to entrust me with their projects. And then for me, my job is to do that work so well as, it's, as if it's an audition for the next thing and the next thing, you know, so it's like a domino effect. You know, one of the things I really dig about what you're doing is that you combine, and we're going to hear that in this song fest, which is going to come up in a minute. You combine that whole hip hop thing with this orchestral background of yours. And it's a fantastic combination. I don't know of anybody else that does it. Maybe there are guys out there that are doing it, but it mixes really well. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it goes back to what I said about, I want to create music that can live outside of just a vacuum. You know, hip hop, there's a lot of hip hop records and even pop records that sometimes you can hear, they hear, they sound dated because it's like, oh, that was a cool synth, but that synth kind of lived in the 90s. Or that synth lived in the 2000s. 
Well, here's for me, I feel like the cheat code is putting in strings and pianos and, you know, horns, because those things, they don't have a shelf life. You know, uh, they you can hear it in the 60s. You can hear it in the 70s. You can hear it in the 2020s. A horn is a horn and a good horn melody is a good horn melody. And so if I can incorporate that into my music, I think it appeals to older generations, but also younger generations. And it just broadens your audience. Yeah, I think you've done a brilliant job. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Miller, your host. I've just released a new EP called The Singles Project that features five of my new songs. I'm pleased to say that the recording has gotten wonderful reviews. It's been called amazing, magical, fabulously enticing, a home run, and a sonic toward the force. How about that? The songs speak to the ups and downs of life, from the blissful, joyous Saturday morning to the darker commentary of Like Never Before and The Ship. Several reviewers said the songs show me exposed and vulnerable. And you know what? They're probably right. See for yourself. The songs can be streamed on Spotify and all the other streaming services. And you can check out all of my music at the Project Grand Slam website. The links are all in the show notes. As always, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and to my music. And keep on rocking. All right, let's go into the song fest because people can now hear what we're talking about. The first thing we're playing is... LeBron. Scripted against the backboard of broken dreams, dry red and gold paint wooden floors, broken hearts, a shattered team. Another season signed off in Cleveland left flooded again with cold-blooded losses, the echoes of empty nets. Yet written in the stars, a hero will rise up again, bring a legendary story. Glory back to the Midwest this time. Redemption will come back to the land. Tell me about this. LeBron 13 is what you sent to me. Tell me about that. Yeah, so that's that's the bit I was telling you. I work with the guys, Purple Films, the filmmakers in Cleveland. This is the piece that I ended up writing for them. And they basically said, we're looking for something that's inspirational, but also kind of evolves into something bigger and motivating. Um, the piece, the, the, the campaign was called Written in the Stars. So this is LeBron had just returned to Cleveland uh, when he actually came back to Cleveland and ended up winning a championship there, which was such a big deal for the city. And then being a kid from Cleveland, this just was for me, it was very personal, it was very uh, sentimental to work on this. And so I wanted to create something that had a very kind of a light palette, starts off with the piano. It's a very soft piano, kind of a felt, felt piano is the actual technical instrument that I used. But then okay. it incorporates some strings and then it just kind of swells. And so I like to write music that kind of has like a bell curve to it, you know? So yeah, it had a dramatic build to it for sure. Yeah. So I like to have something that kind of evolves. It's like a river, like you're kind of going down a river. Nothing really repeats, so to speak, uh -huh. but it evolves into different shapes and, and, and sounds. And so that was my approach to this. And it it worked really well for LeBron. I'm just happy LeBron liked it. You know, you're talking about one of the greatest athletes to ever touch a basketball court. So to have something that he can he can rock to was was pretty special for me. Did you get a chance to meet him? I have met him a couple times. Uh, very, you know, you forget how tall these guys are. You know, you see him on TV, <laughs> and you know he's that. You know, he's standing next to Shaq. He's like, oh, he's not that tall. You get you stand next to LeBron, you're like, wow, these guys are modern giants. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. 
All right, let's go to the next one. This is Shaking the Globe. There's one in a million. I look at the mirror and ask myself, man, are you the hero or villain? But who am I kidding? This time I shake up the building. This time I'm picking up arms. They harming the women and children. Look at the way that we work to get. Very assertive. Look at the faces. Very alert. And look at the way they bury your persons. Off of the name of sharing the purpose. Uh, so I aspire to use them. Wearing a cape. They're wearing a curtain. Uh, look in the mirror. I'm seeing their face. I pray they never rehearse it. And this is a real hip hop thing. Tell us about this one. Yeah, this was fun. Um, so I get together with a buddy of mine. His name's S.O. and a friend of mine here in L.A., uh, Luke Spry. And we like to create sync records. And so we create records that we say, hey, this will work really good for a trailer or for a commercial. And so we'll build packs of these. We'll do maybe three track EP, five track EP. And we'll not only put it on Spotify or the DSPs, but we'll also send it out to different sync companies or libraries or different ad agencies and so this particular one ended up in front of the rock <laughs> for his black adam campaign that he did uh with under armor so he released a shoe in conjunction with the movie and the song ended up working perfectly for this particular campaign so they chose it um but it's another one where we wanted to incorporate something that felt very dramatic heavy intense it felt like you're kind of going to battle you're going to war i mean think about the rock anybody that's seen the rock is a big tough looking guy so I was like, we need some music that reflects his toughness. But also the, we think about Black Adam, like action movies, like Marvel movies, there's a pace to it. There's an energy to it. And it was really important for us to create something that felt like it had energy, like you just want to run through a brick wall. And so that was our approach with this. Heavy, heavy drums, heavy sounds, but still some orchestral elements in it to kind of give it that timelessness. Well, big, tough, and heavy are three words that I could definitely apply to that one. Yeah. <laughs> Kudos to you. All right. You did Written in the Stars. You mentioned that a moment ago, but the one you sent me had this orchestral theme to it, which I really like because it was an offset to the whole hip hop thing. Tell us about that thing. Yeah, that's that's something that, you know, I really enjoyed doing that because, like I said, I grew up playing in orchestras. I played the violin, I think. And when I approach writing scores, I write them from the perspective of, you know, I, I'm a first violinist. That's what I played. But I always knew what the other instruments were doing. Right. So I knew what the viola was doing. I knew what the cello were doing. I knew what the basses were doing. And so when I write my music, I write them in sections so that when they all come together, there's an authenticity to the sound versus saying, hey, I'm just going to take a string patch and just play chords. Like, no, I want to write each, almost like they're having a conversation together, you know? So if you look at my sessions, there's so many tracks. My poor computer is, you know, <laughs> gasping for air because I'm putting so many tracks in there and they're all different, doing, doing different things. But that was that was uh, something that I would love to do more of that. I think, you know, we're talking about follow your dreams. That's one thing that moving to LA from Cleveland, Ohio, that dream is to work more into the film side and then the TV side and to really compose different bits for, um, you know, I, I grew up loving Hans Zimmer and John Williams, those guys. So like, I, I aspire to 
to have that type of impact in the film world. And so this was a great opportunity to kind of dip my toe in that sound and something that's not, like you said, traditional hip hop. It's more on the composing classical side. Yeah, well, you got a very unique kind of approach and sound. And I think it's going to serve you well, not only now, but going forward as well. Thank you. All right. So tell me what's next for Alexander Hitchens. Yeah. So I'm so privileged this year. I had the opportunity to write uh, the theme for Big Ten football, um, NBC called me. I'm in Japan on a honeymoon with my wife and I get an email from NBC and uh, we do a call when I get back to LA and they mentioned that they had actually seen a tweet of mine, which is a funny story. So I'm a golfer, um, violinist, golfer, hip hop guy, you know, just <laughs> spin the wheel. I'm one of those things, but <laughs> I'm at Burbank airport and I see this guy, it's six in the morning. All right. I'm flying to Jackson Hole with my wife. And I'm going to go back a little bit. This is uh, October of 2022. And I see this guy and he's a golfer, he's a professional golfer. I recognize him. This is six in the morning. So it's early. He's like half sleep. He's kind of slumped over. His name's Max Homa. So he's the number seven golfer in the world. I was like, oh man, it's Max Homa. Nobody knows who this guy is, but I'm a, I'm a golf nerd. So I know who he is. So I take a half selfie because I'm not going to bother him, but I do like a half selfie because I'm like, people are going to know that I saw Max Homa. I need my friends to know this. <laughs> so it's like a picture of half of me and then he's in the back kind of slumped over. He's sleeping. He's huh? half sleep. You know, he's kind of awake, <laughs> but he's slumped over. And I tweet at him. So Max, he's a he's a guy, he interacts with his Twitter followers pretty well. So I tweet at him and say, hey, too early to say hi to Max Homa. Um, so he happens to see this tweet. <laughs> he retweets it and it kind of starts going viral. So it gets liked and it gets shared. I go, you know, we get on the plane. I say hello to him, you know, not to be a creep. I'm saying, hey, man, like, good luck in your next tournament. Congratulations on your new kid, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, out of sight, out of mind. You know, so I get this call from NBC and they say, hey, you know, this executive producer at NBC, he's like, I'm a big golfer. I saw your tweet from Max Homa. And so I clicked on your Twitter page and I clicked on your website and I go to your website and I listen to music. I was like, this guy, Alex Hitchens, I think he has the sound that we're looking for. We just got the rights to Big Ten football for NBC for the next seven years. Let's see if we can uh, have this project done by him. Um, so here's this butterfly effect happening from this picture that I took of this guy. <laughs> you are leading a charmed life. You it, understand? It it is, it is wild. It is wild. I could not write this script, Robert. I could not do that. Well, you are writing the script. That's the good part about this. Yeah, indeed, indeed. We have been speaking here with Alexander Hitchens. Alexander, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. You got such an interesting thing going musically, and you got such a nice smile, and I like your attitude about everything here. I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast. Robert, thank you so much. It's a, it's a privilege talking to you. I'm so excited about the stuff that you're doing. So I'm happy to just be a part of this with you. Uh, so cool. And we're going to listen now to that song that started off the episode. It's my song called Yeah, Yeah. I want to thank you all for listening. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.
Thank you so much.